Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all you have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under the radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately, how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Julie Smolianski. Julie is the CEO of Lifeway Foods, a publicly traded health foods company best known for their kefir beverages. For those of you who don't know what kefir is, kefir is a fermented dairy beverage that has become one of the hottest superfoods on the market thanks to its heavy probiotics and gut health benefits. I'm honestly obsessed. The company was founded by her refugee parents over 30 years ago with the mission of bringing kefir, an Eastern European product, to the U.S. mainstream. At the age of 27, Julie became the youngest female CEO of a publicly traded company when she took over leadership of Lifeway Foods in 2002 after her father's sudden heart attack. Under her leadership, the company has gone from $12 million in revenue to $100 million today. Aside from being a huge fan of Lifeway and their kefir, I'm honestly just so excited to share what Julie's been up to and shine a light on how she's leveraged her platform to speak out on issues that matter to her. For almost 30 years, Julie has actively worked to end domestic violence and sexual assault. She's produced several films focused on social justice, including the Emmy-winning and Oscar-nominated documentary, The Hunting Ground. She shared the stage with Lady Gaga at the 2016 Oscars during the iconic performance of Till It Happens to You, and she worked with the Obama administration on the It's On Us campaign to help end sexual assault on college campuses. Julie was named as Fortune Business 40 Under 40, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, among many other accolades. So with that, welcome to Active Ingredient, Julie. All right, so we are here with Julie Smolianski from Lifeway. Hi, Julie. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hi, Sophie. So fun to be with you. I know. So can you, for anyone that doesn't know exactly what you do for Lifeway, can you give us a background on what Lifeway is and what your position is within the company? Sure. Um, So Lifeway is a 31-year-old company that my parents started as uh, we were refugees from the former Soviet Union and immigrants, obviously. Um, We came to Chicago in 1976 when I was just a baby. And um, we came with $116, and my mom learned English watching General Hospital and um, soon opened a, a deli catering to this new emerging immigrant population that was settling and um, grew her career, grew her business, eventually ended up with five delis and became an importer and distributor of Eastern European food. And um, like less than 10 years into the whole immigration process, they said they realized that kefir, which is a staple in in the Soviet Union at the time and throughout Eastern Europe, um, and for those of you who don't know, kefir is like a fermented probiotic um, dairy product, but um, different than just milk. It's fermented milk. Also, I swear by it. And also, you know that I've like changed the lives of all my friends. Like every, I was just telling my sister earlier because I was telling her about you and everything. And literally all my friends are now having kefir in the morning. Good. Yeah. And like, for, I'm not going to say their names, but like a lot of them have had like yeast infections and like are prone to those things. Yeah. Swear by it too. Yeah. So you're definitely... 
I mean, centuries ago, they've been on something. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. And we, we have so much research now that supports a lot of this intuitive um, feelings that uh, our ancestors have had for over 2,000 years. This product existed, but never in the United States. And our ancestors said that, you know, even 2,000 years ago when they consumed it, that they felt better intuitively in their gut. You know, they had a feeling that they felt better. And now all this research and science is backing up that intuitive feeling and showing all these great benefits, medicinal benefits um, that you can only get from drinking kefir. Like other probiotics, while they say that they're probiotic, mostly we're learning that they're not really active, that there isn't that much. Mm -hmm. They don't survive the intestines. They don't have the same level of activity that when you culture these bacteria cultures in a dairy source um, is when they really thrive and they're protected and they can survive the entire process of digestion. But That's like I, I feel like the most yeah. underrated thing because probiotics is such a hot topic yeah. right now. Yeah. And that I think is like one of the main things that is missed. Like yeah. you can drink kombucha all day long. It's not going to survive your digestive, it's your digestive tract. Well, it's not even active. We've tested a lot of it. And right. we know that... Um, we tested the top five brands, and we've discovered that there's zero activity in them. So it's basically elevated uh, soda uh, to some extent, or a healthier yeah. version of a soda. But um, so, anyways, my parents started the company to bring this this product, this kefir product, to the United States, and um, started to talk about these health benefits, and really pioneered the whole natural move food movement, organic food movement, um, making that connection between what you eat and the foods that you eat, and how you treat your body um, impacts your health overall. I mean, this is a new conversation that we're having. While it feels like we, duh, obviously, mm -hmm. but you know, 30 years ago that was not known, um, and 20 years ago it wasn't. And so, um, and, and so my parents grew the business. They continued to grow the business, and then unfortunately, uh, 16 years ago, my father had a sudden heart attack and passed away at the age of 55. Um, and I was 27 at the time and I became the CEO and my brother was 23 at the time and he became the CFO and COO. Um, and so we've been running the company for um, 16 years now um, and we've grown it from um, 12 million when our dad died to like 100 plus million today. It's so million. impressive. Thank you. Yeah, we've done it, you know, still maintaining uh, ownership and, and not taking in outside money or outside investors really. Um, but we are publicly traded. And so I feel like we've done this really um, with lack of resources, with complete scarcity and under really difficult circumstances uh, and, and um, you know, really remained financially healthy um, for most of that process. And so, yeah, I think it is, um, you know, and, and really like promoting something that people don't understand. Right. And this category did not exist until we made it exist in, right. in the U.S. Um, and since then, we've also expanded internationally. We're now in um, Mexico, in the U.K., in Ireland, in Canada, and even parts of Asia. Um and we know that like there's just so much opportunities for the category and some of the market research is saying that it's going to grow between like 4 and 7% in the next few years and that the market valuation globally for the category is like over 2.6 billion so it's a small piece of the fermented you know yogurt space but it's a growing one and right. it's an exciting one and it's one that um, is really sort of on yeah. trend and has the most levels of like 
activity and this, these probiotics that we're talking about. Um, and no, I the just, product, the product is amazing. Thank like, you. like you can talk about it forever. But I am someone that is not involved in Lifeway, and I'm telling everyone that's listening that it is actually something to try. It's also not that expensive. Yeah. And like for me, I I've always had like some sort of level of anxiety. Like sometimes it flares up and sometimes it doesn't. When I'm consistent with kefir, I don't know if it's that the probiotics like settle in my stomach really well. So like the knots in my stomach, I don't I don't yes. know if there's like some sort of connection there. There is. There but is I definitely, else. I've definitely felt a difference. Like sometimes I'm on super the key for kick and like I'm being completely honest. Like sometimes I'm super on it and sometimes I'm not. And when I'm super on it, I really do. I definitely do feel it. I love hearing that because you're confirming what the science is saying. Right. And the science is showing that there is a, a gut brain connection and that the gut is actually considered the second brain. Uh, but many doctors think it's going to be the first brain. It's actually going to be take over as the primary brain because the gut controls all of our emotion, our mood, yeah. our anxiety, our, so our general health. And it informs the brain on like how to execute yeah, your day. Right? It really does. And um, as a matter of fact, even Harvard just last month came out with a study that specifically talks about kefir and its ability to reduce anxiety, stress, dementia, stress, depression, and even dementia. I was blown away by this. I mean, I had always, I've grown up in this. I, you know, I was 11 years old when my dad started, when my parents started the business. And I've heard him talk about this, but I was like, oh, that crazy dad of mine. But no, he's actually onto this so early and really understood these, these connections. And, um, and it's, it's so amazing to see all the science and research now backing up what people have said. They, I mean, 2000 years ago, the places where kefir was consumed at high levels was in the Caucasus Mountains and these small villages where it existed by word of mouth, by storytelling, by this ancient art form of fermentation and mostly women intuitively making this product and then saying, we feel better. We, our bodies feel better. It's considered a gift from the gods. Um, these people lived past 100 years of age and they lived a very simple life going back to these like roots of how we, we are now going back to the roots of how our ancestors ate and, and lived and um, maybe not how they lived. We lived a very crazy <laughs> I was like, like are you living least. in the mountains? No. But, <laughs> yes. We were definitely not living the way our ancestors. But but eating, you know, those those kind of core basic foods um, is really, really critical. So I'm just really excited by this whole gut-brain connection and... Just the conversation itself. I it's feel like, we've, yeah, we've got to keep it moving for sure. And it reduces people's suffering. And even if we can do that a little bit, then it's making it all worth it. I mean, I, I just wrote a book. You helped me on the book tour. <laughs> it's called The Kiefer Cookbook. But what was fascinating to me was like really getting a chance to talk to our customers while I was on this tour and, and, and really, you know, looking in people's eyes and my consumers' eyes and seeing from them tears in their eyes because they were had some, you know, horrible health condition or family member did. And they tell me how it was the only thing that their family member could consume while they were, say, going through chemo or, you know, experiencing some, some horrible medical condition or that their kids never got sick through their entire preschool and kindergarten years uh, because they're consuming kefir. So, like, those kinds of things make me feel so good. Or when I hear the stories of you, you know, how it, it's helped, when I hear those personalized stories, it really... That's what gets you going. Yeah, it really, really makes me feel like there's great purpose to what. I 
So that's actually a really good segue because I feel like this conversation, I was really excited because yes, of course you have this incredible title. You're the CEO of a huge publicly traded company. You were the youngest female CEO. Like there are so many different verticals in this conversation that I'm really excited about, but I feel like a lot of people are in a specific position in their life where they feel like they can't either get out of it or they're so tied to it that they can't do anything aside from it. And I want to empower people that are in these positions of power to do similar to what you've done to find what their active ingredient is aside from whatever their business is that's giving them the platform to be able to do what they're doing. And I feel like you are someone who is such, I don't even know what the word to to put it, but you're just like such a, such an inspiration for any, like any woman really, but anyone that has gone through some sort of trauma or sexual assault or any sort of hardship as a woman in business or just as a woman in general. Um, and you've kind of like paved the way for a lot of people. Thank you. And I feel like you have kind of had this platform because of Lifeway and you've been able to kind of like channel that for your actual active ingredient, which I think is that. So I'd love to hear like, First of all, at what point did you feel in this journey that you felt like you could speak about it? Because I feel like you you and I have talked about this a ton, like you've kind of kept it at bay for a while. Yeah. And there was like a certain pivotal moment. And I'd love to hear about like when you felt ready. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true. And I do think that like probably anybody can look at their career and find purpose within it. If, you know, you kind of dig deeper, like go beyond the surface of what mm-hmm. their career is or what the, the mission of a business is and go like a high elevate on a higher level. But, you know, for me, um, first of all, I come from a line of survivors and warriors, especially the female gene in my, in my family on both sides is such a survivor gene. Um, it's like in our DNA. So my great grandparents, my, uh, my paternal grandparents, great grandparents were murdered in the Holocaust. My grandmother survived. She was a teenager. They told her to run into the forest. She did. She escaped and she survived the Holocaust and the war. Um, as a teen on her own. And uh, and for that reason, my father was born. And he grew up in, you know, communism Russia, which, you know, wasn't that much better. And uh, my mother as well, her great-grand... Her mother um, saved uh, three Jewish children and brought them into her home and, and said they were hers, and she was Orthodox uh, Ukrainian. And so, you know, there's this sense of, first of all giving back and uh, paying it forward because so many people did that for us. And like, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the activism that Americans showed in the seventies to allow refugees from the Soviet Union to come to the States and give us so asylum. True. And so that that's because of the political will that was created because of activism. Right. So, you know, that's why we survived and, and are here. And, um, you know, so so as I watched my parents sort of build this business, um, you know, I experienced my own adversities. You know, as you mentioned, uh, an assault of my own, and it's uh, I used it. I had always basically fought against it and um, the issue, and immediately went to um, activist, and uh, you know that was part of that healing process. And I think that um, that you could, you know, let something like that really destroy you, and so many people do, or you could say, but I can get purpose out of it, and I can find um, meaning out of the, the trauma and the experience, and I can 
use it to like I'm enlightened and I want to now help others and um, help fight for them so that it doesn't happen again or that there's better resources when it happens. And so I basically almost instantly became an activist in my community. I helped write the first teen dating violence curriculum in the early 90s and uh, became a rape crisis counselor in college and um, have been working in the space for like 30 years. So you were doing this while, while also running LifeWay? Yes. Um, I did it without like being honest, you know, being open about my own personal experience. Publicly. But, yeah. Um, but at some point, well, it, it was when I had my daughters, actually, when I was in the hospital with my kids, when I delivered them, and I looked at my daughter, my first one, and I said, oh, there's so much more work to do. And that if I really want to impact this issue, that I was going to have to kind of be more honest about my own personal experience, that it couldn't just be that I was like interested in it, right. but I had to be a little bit more honest. And I remember thinking that when I was growing up, the only um, role model that I really had of a person who I knew had survived was Oprah. And that was so powerful for me to have her as like something to hang on to. But um, I know that there was also an opportunity for so many other voices in the space and, and we need so many role models. Right. Uh, but it, it was so critical for me. And so that was one moment where I was like, okay, Julie, it's time to get stronger, get braver, be more honest, um, you know, really do this work even at a bigger level. Um, because of your children. Yes, because of the girls. And I, I just, I really thought, you know, I have like 18 years to change their college experience when we know that that's when the highest level of sexual assault happens in the first year of college for a girl. And so I thought, you know, what's the point of this platform if I can't use it to impact and influence my world? And I would just do everything in my power that that I that I could. And so I took on like really big scale, higher scale projects in the space. So I became an executive producer in the hunting ground, um, which highlighted sexual assault on college campus. And I started a nonprofit um, to end the backlog of untested rape kits, which was called Test 400K. And we've done some really great results, had, had some really great results with real scrappy budgets mm -hmm. and like just bootstrapped it. Um, but we were able to change a couple of laws here in Illinois and we've lobbied for like record dollars out of um, the government to help fund the cost of the, you know, testing all these kits. Um, and so when the, the hunting ground one uh, was nominated for an Oscar and a Grammy and an Emmy. Um, the song and Lady Gaga wrote "Till It Happens to You" with mm -hmm. Diane Warren, and that song was nominated for all three um, awards. And for the 2016 Oscars, the producers invited me to join. Producer and director invited me to join um, Gaga and the 50, 49 other survivors on stage. And that's when I kind of came out publicly about right. my own personal experience. I mean, talk about like a platform to do it. Yeah, like. That's a good one to do it. Yeah. yeah, It was an international stage. And we saw within minutes the impact it was having globally. I mean, in China, it was the lead story in China, um, China right. media. What, before we were even off stage, it was already all over the world. Um, and it really did give me a, another level to address this issue. And I actually, um, I had a phone call that week from a local community mental health director. Mm -hmm. And she said, when the story came out and local media had written about it and whatnot, my involvement in it, that um, five women had came, come in for mental health treatment, mm -hmm. specifically naming me, saying that they saw 
me on the stage and they felt that they wow. could come forward to um, I feel like resources. that's it. Like that's the active ingredient. Like that's all <sighs> that's all it takes yeah. to like catapult you to continue and yeah. just grow the message bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. And that was I feel that that really paved the way for the Me Too movement then yeah. because when I was in on the stage, I saw all of these famous iconic faces in the crowd in the audience and they were crying and I knew that they weren't shedding those tears for us on stage. They were shedding those tears for themselves. And um, I knew that it was never going to be the same, that our world had changed and that this veil of secrecy, of shame, it was the unshedding of it. And maybe sometimes it's easier to do that collectively. I mean, it wasn't one of us. It wasn't just Gaga. It wasn't just one student. It was the collective. It was like 50 students. Gaga, all together. Then it's I also feel there. like to make that message really impact everyone that's gone through it, I feel like it was so smart to do it with people that look different because yeah. people identify with people that they look like also. Yeah. And giving that, like, just, like, giving that array of yeah. other survivors is yeah. giving so many other women that have gone through it. Yeah. And men, too. I mean, and we men. men on stage, too. And men. Um, it's just such an epidemic, and, and it thrives in secrecy. It's It thrives in darkness and secrecy. And if we're ever going to change it, then we have to talk about it. Right. And we have to hold people accountable, and we have to offer resources, and we have to help people you know, move forward and restore wholeness, which we know is possible. Um, but not when we don't talk about it and when we don't offer resources and when we think that it doesn't happen. And totally. we know that it does. Um, like we know the statistics. So that means that like it's it impacts it and it has tentacles throughout our society, throughout our communities, throughout our workforce, throughout our families, throughout our neighborhoods. And and but we also know that we can move forward and make it better. So that was really my goal is like to use that experience to, you know, build um, my own strength and um, and and change it for the next generations, for all the generations. You know, I've seen and talked with many parents who've um, lost their children, their daughters to suicide after it happens. And the rate of suicide is up dramatically after um, a sexual assault or any type of real traumatic experience. Um, I always think this too, that, you know, uh, the, the trauma that, uh, someone who experiences sexual assault is very similar to what war veterans have experienced when they're in war and like sort of the impact afterwards and except war veterans come back and they're not always, but most of the time they're, they're offered services. There's compassion around their experience. You know, there's marches and walks and and resources for them and we you know embrace them and hug them and applaud them and thank them for their service but for women who've gone through sexual assault they live that in secrecy and silence and they don't have that warm embrace and they don't have uh compassion or tools or anything anything. Yeah. yeah you know it takes years for them to even possibly even consider going into therapy or accessing mental health resources um, or telling a friend or telling a teacher or telling, you know, a family member. Um, so there's just so much work. And, and I think that, you know, knowing how important having that role model for me was that if I could be that for somebody else, then maybe, you know, maybe somebody's life could be saved.
Um, I want to go back to you're 27 years old and you are now the CEO of a publicly traded company. I'm assuming you had no prior training to being the CEO of a publicly no. traded company and still having this um, this kind of like background or kind of like a, an, an undercurrent of wanting to be some sort of activist in this space. Like how did, did you kind of have the foresight seeing like, okay, I have this opportunity to be the CEO of this huge company. I have the opportunity to grow it and give myself a platform. And then I'm going to go and really just like shout from the rooftops about what I'm super, super passionate about. Did that like thought go through your mind or was it more like a gradual, like you, you were like, this is, this is something that I have to take on. Like I have to fulfill my father's legacy. And then it came on later yeah, I kind of want to know, time. like, what the... Yeah, the process. It took me some time because, of course, initially I was only focused on Lifeway and, like, just, you know, getting equilibrium here at the, at the company and um, stabilizing everything. Uh, event- and, and, and I just wasn't even in the place to take anything else on. Mm-hmm. I was just head down on Lifeway. Um, and although social impact has always been built into the DNA of the company, so my parents... Um, my father was just a big activist in the immigrant space mm-hmm. and like trying to show that immigrants make our country better and that there's just such a great contribution that um, that immigrants make and refugees can make. And even, you know, he would highlight the uh, work that my mother had done and, and what a great entrepreneur she was and that, you know, women also have so much value and contribution to society. Yeah. Um, and th- this was all, you know, I, I grew up watching my parents build this business from scratch and right. live a life in the country from scratch. Um, so there was that. But um, it took me a while to kind of build up uh, this sense that I needed to focus more on female empowerment. Um, I really started to realize it. It took me some time, but I saw that, okay, what's the point of having this platform and um, this type of influence if I'm not going to address the gender inequalities that I see all the time? And uh, that it's, it's really an obligation for me that if I've made it to some certain level, whatever that level is, that I, I really had an obligation to speak and be a voice for my gender uh, and and to equalize some of what I've seen. And one thing was like I read a book called The Unfinished Revolution and it talked about, it was by Minky Warden, if anyone wants to read it, it's a great book, um, but it goes through, she highlights all the various human rights violation that women in various countries face. So like Afghanistan is this issue, you know, Africa is this issue, you know, name the different country and she highlights one particular issue in that country. Mm-hmm. And in the U.S., I couldn't even believe it when I read that in the U.S., the biggest human rights violation is the rape kits, the the untested rape kits. I couldn't believe that because that is so fixable. That is so solvable. Of all the things, it's data-driven. It's science-driven. You can count it. You can measure it. You can see the results from it. You just need infrastructure and a team. Then there's no accountability. There's no procedure in our country for doing this in any jurisdiction in our country. And we have in some... It's wild. It's wild. And so I... When I started to understand this, it just started to connect, like, okay, why is that? Oh, there's a lack of representation in government. There's a lack of representation in, in, you know, police stations, in attorney general station, you know, offices. Like, it's just throughout every part of our system, there's a lack of representation. And 
think when you talk to most women, they are like, yeah, either I experienced it or a friend of mine did or a loved one did. Like we know right. our secrets when we talk about them in the private, um, in closed doors, behind closed doors. Uh, we know what the truth is, which is why the Me Too movement has been so powerful um, and uh, I think uh, impactful. So, you know, I think like for me, one of the greatest um, life uh, journeys has been to work on this issue for over 30 years now and actually see the needle get moved. Because I honestly never thought it's sometimes I would get so down about it that there were so few people, it's so taboo, it's so stigmatized, so few people working on the issue or caring about it or, and no one wants, I mean, it's not pleasant. Yeah, it's no uncomfortable. One, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It's, you know, but it's, it's like we have to like push through the awkward it. to get it to not happen anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's we just what's got to happen. Offer people the vocabulary, the yeah. space, the um, the the just the normalizing of the you know vocabulary. Right. And I mean, I can't tell you how many people, how many parents, how many uh, all sorts of people you know come up to me and ask me or talk to me or you know ask advice or ask for resources and so you know if I can be that for somebody that's great if if I can you know be a role model for a, a teenager experiencing it then then great you know I hope amazing. that I can have that for somebody amazing thank you so Basically, the whole point of this podcast is for people that are kind of confused, maybe like in their 20s or 30s. I feel like we're all so overstimulated. We're yeah, we are. told all the time, like, if you work in something that you love, you'll never work a day in your life again. Right. So I would love to hear if you have any sort of tips for anyone that could be confused right now mm-hmm. on what are the things to pay attention to and what are kind of like steps that you would either recommend to your girls yeah. or that you would recommend to anyone asking you, like, you've found a really cool path to go down even while also running this company. Like even if it's someone that already has a company that they feel like they're married to, like any tips that you could give someone to like make it happen for them or even if they're like at ground zero and don't know what that step is. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I always tell people is to find something that you are really passionate about and make money in that. And it how, is, like how, what, what, are, what keeps you up? Like, what are you obsessed about? I mean, I knew for me that it was Lifeway when I would stay up till, you know, two, three in the morning, just researching, Googling, you know, learning about ad campaigns, learning about the products, learning about how it can help people. Like, I was so obsessed with it. I could not sleep. I was like a fanatic about it. Yeah. And that gave me a, a, a path. Like it was my North Star. It was when I was so, I just didn't want to do anything else. It was my favorite yeah. thing. You know, I didn't want to, I would rather work on Lifeway on the weekends than I would do anything else. Right. Like it was, and, and that was sort of a, where an I indication. Tell. Yeah, yeah, an indication that this was something that I was very, very passionate about. And I just knew. And, you know, I actually left graduate school. I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, I left graduate school because I was so, so obsessed with the work we were doing at LifeWay, the messaging, the opportunities, the way that we could improve people's lives and suffer and suffering. Um, and I, it wasn't so far away from what I thought I wanted to do. I, it's just being used in a different way. So I I wanted to be a psychologist because I wanted to change the world. I wanted to, so cliche, but I wanted to improve people's lives. I wanted to end suffering. And I thought that the path was through being a psychologist. So 
So my mission hadn't changed. It was just how I was going to do that. And how so, you view it. Yeah. And like where that career actually ended up. Um, but the mission, and, and I think you have to go back to like, what is it that really gets you going? And for me, it was for sure that I wanted to improve the lives of people and end suffering. And again, it goes back to my history with my right. parents, with my, you know, my grandparents, my great grandparents, watching my parents do it. And then my own adversities and overcoming them um, was really, really important to me. And you know, I, I'll just kind of touch on this piece too, that for me, it was uh, so natural and, and sort of like kind of what I try to empower people is that, you know, the world throws lots of things at us. It's it's a hard world for everybody. I, I don't know that many people, no matter where you are, uh, that don't get beaten up by life a little bit because um, it's not easy. Uh, and there are choices that you can make every day on how you view those adversities and what you do with them and and you know your your mind approach to how you see your adversities and and then how you like move forward in your day and what i've really learned is that a lot of things in the world you can't control but what you can control is how you treat yourself the foods you eat, you know, the, the things that you put into your body, how you rest your body, how you talk to yourself, the things that you say to yourself. Um, these are, you know, small choices that you can make that are massive possibilities to improve your life. Um, and, and to me, that just is so important. And that's why uh, it felt so perfect that this was my career path. It was just kind of knowing what I am about, right. knowing who I am, what I care about, what is important to me. Yeah. And once you know that, once you know who you are, then it's so much clearer in terms of your path and how you're going to um, leverage your passions yeah. and, and then find your career. And it's it funny. Change. Yeah, totally. For sure. And that's something that like I've had people on that have had different active ingredients throughout the course of their life. Yeah. And like I always think like, I'm sure that when you have kids, there's other things that come to light that like will change your active ingredient or whatever. Any any sort of like life pivotal moment could awaken you to a different active ingredient. 100%. Something that I've noticed with a lot of people that I interview is that there's like a lot of times people end up going back to something that they loved in their childhood or something that they were super passionate about in their childhood. Because I feel like, yeah, of course, like if you're at a point where you know yourself, you're likely going to be on a path. Yeah. But what, I, why I wanted to do this is for like the very confused person that may not know themselves that well. Like a lot of people have been giving tips of like, okay, maybe ask your friends or really close people that like really know you to yeah. your core. What are the things that you think I bring to the table? Yeah. Like what are those type of things? Yeah. Like if Misha came to you, Misha's her, Misha's Julia's daughter. She's the cutest thing ever. If she came to you and was like, mom, I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Yeah. What advice would you give her? Um, well, I would probably like reflect back, like you were kind of mentioning and, and getting to that, um, like mirror back what I see some of her skills to be. And she's very funny and she makes people laugh. She's very emotional. She's very uh, intense. Um, you know, uh, she's very thoughtful. Um, she's very detail oriented. So I, I would I would give somebody those types of feedback. feedback. Yeah, the, the various feedbacks about just mirroring to somebody um, what they what, may not see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's it is helpful to talk to people because even just 
it, it's, it's about getting the right questions asked for you to be able to articulate right. what is and what isn't true for you. Right. Um, and it's different for everybody. And, and just because this was mine, you know, my path, somebody else might have a different path. Like, right. you know, maybe somebody else's path is that they want to help elevate these kinds of stories, like, you right. know, what you're doing, yeah. you know, being able to, to th- those ripple effects are, are so important. And, uh, you know, that, that you can kind of raise the consciousness collectively totally. around the world. Like those, you know, so there's different ways to sort of see our careers and to think higher vib- vibration is thinking like this, yeah. this higher vibration thing keeps going through my mind. But, but it is like that, that we all have a role to play. And, you know, I, I always tell everyone within my company, we're all healers. Like no matter what part of this business that you touch, we are contributing to the healing of people's bodies. That's so special. And so that just gives you so much more pride in whatever you're doing. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, talking to people, again, it goes back to like what you're really passionate about and whatever that is. I mean, it could be athletics. Like if you're really passionate right. about it, that that's a good place to start. Um, Someone also gave a tip once that was like, Pay attention to what you Google and pay attention to what you like search on Instagram. So true. Like people think that you're wasting time. Like, no, no. there's there's a reason why you're looking at yes. that. Like, what is it about that? You're like becoming an expert in a particular area. Like, why is it that you're so intrigued by this? That's what you're passionate about. That's exactly. That's a great place to kind to of start. start. Yeah. Totally. What do you love? And I think back to your point, I think once you kind of like get a broad idea of what that like general thing is that you're interested in, I think like taking a step back and looking at your morals and saying like with what I know that I bring to the table, what what can I really highlight and how can I bring that and make that the center of whatever I do? Totally. Knowing your skill set. Right. Knowing what you're really good at. If you're a great communicator, great. You know, go and and tell stories. Tell stories about whatever. Yeah. Um, if you're, you know... A, a great artist and do that. You totally. know, it's like, it's knowing what your skill set is. Like I knew my skill set was around leadership around. I knew that I was very passionate, that I was intuitive. Um, and that you wanted that, to heal. Yeah. That I wanted to heal people's lives. So those, those kind of like, I zeroed in on that in my sweet spot. And then I outsourced the things that I wasn't good at. You know, I, I brought in people who had those different strengths that were different than mine and that created symbiotic relationships. Yeah. But, you know, I'm kind of like, I was really inspired by, um, for example, like Allie Webb, who started Dry Bar. You know, she, it's not just that she's offering blow, uh, blowouts. It's that, um, she is actually improving people's uh, days days, and, like, making them feel more confident to go, you know, go it's on It's a pep in the step. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they feel better about how they look because they, they have a great little hair blowout and they're going to go on a job interview and feel strong and confident or a date or whatever and 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 shine or it's like deeper than the superficial it, yeah it's, it goes deeper yeah so, you know she she doesn't just think of her job as like making pretty people look pretty but she's giving people confidence yeah. to live out their passions and totally. their mission or bumble um it's not just a dating app it's really she you know whitney wants to dismantle the hierarchy of society of like that men take the power and men initiate um you know, I'm, I, that that is so powerful. And, mm-hmm. and when you think about these kinds of missions, it's just so much deeper than 
what the business model totally. actually just is. And and I think that, you know, today consumers, millennials especially, they want more out of their company, out of the brands that they Always, support. Yeah. I, they want to know the stories behind like what's your mission? What are yes. you doing to give back? Yes. They want to know that there's some purpose and social impact that, that is happening. Um, that it's just so much more than just profits and dollars that, that you know, there's a, a bigger uh, purpose for existence. Um, and it certainly then just also makes our careers better. Yeah. And it makes our days better. It makes and your life better. Yeah. I, I don't feel tired because I just, I'm so driven to yeah. accomplish this, um, this mission. Yeah. And I think something else that you said that I think is really important is that you had this dream of being a psychologist. And I think a really big miss for a lot of people is that they're so stuck on a specific path that they think that that's it. But like you said, like, think about what your end goal is with that. What is, what is that at the end of the day? Like, are you super excited to do a therapy session? No, you're really excited to change this person's lives because you're going to heal them. Right. You're going to help them find their path. Yeah. Look at things around you that are available to you that you can actually capitalize on to make that end goal happen whichever way possible at that moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a hard choice for me to say, wow, I've spent all of my high school life and all of my college life working to try to become a psychologist. You know, I um, did all this volunteer work and community work and research and you know, I, I invested in my my college life. All the classes were psychology driven, and um, you know, now I'm a year into grad school. Like, you know, it was it was a hard thing to just all of a sudden at twenty. I was twenty two when I pivoted. Um, it was so hard to make that decision and say and and not think that I wasted the last X amount of years down going down one path, um, but. When I look back on those moments when I was up till two or three in the morning Googling and researching kefir probiotics, the market, you know, successful ad campaigns, yada, yada, like it was the fire. It was clear as day. It was perfect, clear. And I knew exactly that I needed to switch and I needed to come and work for my dad and, and help him in this space. And it was, again, it was almost like a blessing in disguise because I worked with him for five years where in that five years, he taught me everything. And if I hadn't made that choice, the company would be in a different place today. Totally. Not even, potentially not even exist. Isn't it crazy how like the universe aligns the way that it does? And that's the other thing. It's like, and I also feel like, and you and I have talked about this in the past about your relationship with your dad and you were like on some level that you felt that he knew something. Yeah. And he was priming you yeah. to be able to take this on. 100%. Yeah. That's, that's he, so crazy. I mean, he said it. He articulated to me that if anything happened, that he has already taught me everything to be able to take life way forward. Um, Do you think that he had any idea of where you would have taken it today? No, I don't think he actually anticipated it would get as big as it did. But I think that's more because he underestimated his own ability. ability. Yeah. Um, I don't, and I don't, I yeah. just got <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's, it's a wonderful thing, you know, just to, to consider it that way. But yeah, I think, uh, and, and naivety is bliss too, right? I didn't even understand how big of a task I was taking on. And sometimes that is, you know, sink or the swim best. and you just go forward and you just, you know, you make it. But 
Um, I love being underestimated. I'm constantly underestimated. I really try to use it as my advantage. I've learned a lot. I'm like a sponge um, and I and I strike when it's hot and uh, it's really cool. And uh, <laughs> It's I really, really cool. I've it seen it. It's, it's fun. I mean, and I, I've only, I'm only getting stronger now. I'm only getting, you know, more confident. I'm only getting braver. Um, and now I've, I've got like a great Rolodex and a great, you know, yeah. group of, of people supporting me and helping me when I need it or, and vice versa. Um, so that's really powerful too. So, you know, it's like, uh, firing on all cylinders and, uh, you know, not to say that there aren't bad days. I've really hard days, really difficult days. But, um, again, I just always think, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you, makes you stronger and, uh, there's lessons to be learned. And, you know, I think today I can fail faster, recover faster. Um, it's literally you know, like working out, like yeah. the harder, the harder you yeah. work on, the more you do high interval training, Yeah. the faster your body recovers, yeah. same in business, same in your relationships. Yeah. When you figure it out, you know how to replicate it for the next time absolutely faster better with less you know pain totally um yeah so it's uh it is it's a really cool feeling to be able to be the master you know create the masterpiece which is your life and it's amazing total control over it um and uh to a certain extent because that comes god but right 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 (laughs) of course um, and I, yeah, I do like really definitely believe that like this universe is teaching us things all the time. And uh, we every day wake up and have a chance to do it better, um, to do something different. And uh, it's it's just so great to be able to be in this place of, of power and strength versus, you know, a kind of like. Oh, poor me, you know, victim. Poor Which you me. could have done. Could have. And, and it's most so people, easy yeah. to do that. I it's mean, so more comfortable. Myself, yeah, I, totally. I, I have to be, I have to have people tell me how hard, you know, how hard of an experience I had because I'm always like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. But actually, when I, I talk to professionals, they, they'll be like, actually, it was pretty bad. And you've <laughs> done a really good job with, you know, recovering from all yeah. of the adversity. Um, yeah, because I do tend to even uh, underplay the how difficult right. the days Which are. Which I think is also kind of like a survival yeah. Survival yeah, and and I also I just think that women are really good at managing crisis. Like I completely agree. It I completely agree. Yeah. It's like under pressure, hand still. But like, like all women manage crisis in our communities and our families all the time forever. That's like what women are really good at and we kind of do it silently and quietly, but we have been intuitively managing crisis from the beginning of time. Um, and we are, uh, I think one skill set that women especially have that is incredibly underestimated is our intuitive powers. And I do think that like going forward, many corporations are going to realize it and tap into this intuition and skill set that women have that is, um, you can't learn it really. I mean, you can, you can, you can hone in on it and get better. You can practice it, but it's just... You can practice. Yeah. But we we have a really great sense of gut feeling. And I always say, you know, follow your gut, make it stronger, make it better, because it's really sending you messages and it knows a whole lot more than we even give it credit for. Totally. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I always close the show with the, it's like kind of like a lighter question, but it's what's your literal active ingredient as in like, is it coffee? Is it matcha? What is it that like actually powers Julie Smolianski through the day? Obviously kefir. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously life white No. Yeah. I mean, of course I drink so much of it. Um, a lot. <laughs> Before I leave, you need to give me some. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll definitely get you All right, so kefir. Awesome. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I love I love my, you know, coffee in the morning. I love a glass of red wine in the evening. Keeping it, keeping it well-rounded. Yeah, I like it. you know, fermented grapes. Amazing. Not, not fermented grapes, fermented milk. Right, exactly. So fermented day. Yeah. But All yeah. right, well, thank you so thank much for you. being on the podcast. So this was amazing. Fun. Thank you for everything that you've done. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take a second to rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you guys next time.